Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Man, maybe a month ago or so, we knew what our podcast schedule was going to look like, and you went on Twitter, and you sort of did this um, Wheel of Fortune-type puzzle. Yeah, it was a hangman. For people to figure out who was coming up in, you know... The next four, five, six episodes of the podcast. Right. So we had Moneybag Yo, we had Trevor Noah, we had Common. But but people only saw like an M or an A or like a, a G somewhere, right. right? Not enough to give it away, but enough to keep people guessing. And I think only one person successfully guessed that we were going to have Dennis Graham as our Father's Day episode. And that was our friend Jimmy Branley. Yes. Well, two people did. Oh, really? Yeah, but we only gave one <laughs> gift out. And that was to our friend yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Branley. Um, but also, a lot of people thought that it might have been Dennis Rodman. It, that, well, was, that was the running bet. I, man, I don't know what to tell those people other than no, it's not. We are going to fly out to North <laughs> Korea. First chance we get. Dennis Graham is on the podcast today, but... Interestingly enough, this morning I got an email from from Jimmy Branley, mm-hmm. and Jimmy was like, "This is the perfect time for you guys to put out this episode." And honestly, I mean, it's just sort of a nice confluence of events yeah. that the Raptors won the World Championship. Yeah, but that matters for Drake, not so much. I don't know that Drake's dad is like a huge. Well, I I, I think I think Jimmy meant Raptors it more fan. like the internet is like all things Drake. New Drake music. Let me tell you something. Drake is at the parade. The internet has been all about Drake for 10 <laughs> long well, years. We were walking yesterday and you were remarking about the fact that Drake had this new song that he put out. Uh-huh. And well, we put out two, Omerta and uh Money in the Grave. Right. And in Omerta, right? Uh-huh. He talks about Benihana's Oh, well, yeah, he says that uh, that Benny Hanna's is pigeon food. And and you then put together a list I said, of... Uh, yeah, I was like, you know, here are things that he likes. He, or here, here are three things he doesn't like. He doesn't mm-hmm. like the Westin. He doesn't like the Intercontinental Hotel. And he doesn't like Benny Hanna's, but he does like Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. So, like, what is the taste level here? Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. And that tweet... Went viral. Went viral. Got in front of the right people and went viral. So maybe this podcast goes viral because it's attached to Drake, but the way that we prepared for this podcast was to treat Dennis Graham, who is Drake's father, Mm -hmm. as his own man. So we wanted to look at it like, hey, you're a human being. You've lived this life. You grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. You were a musician. You traveled across the United States and ended up in Toronto and married this woman. And and here's how you looked at life. And let's hear it straight from Dennis Graham's mustachioed mouth. Yeah. And so this was a real treat for us because it's a podcast episode that we've been working on for four years. Four years. Four long years. Shout out to us. But also, and just as importantly, shout out to Sophie Ash, who's our partner in this whole thing. Not only was she on text chains all about Dennis Graham. And what he was doing and who we could contact and where he might be at any given time. But also, she is the one who actually put the puzzle pieces together yeah. and got us to Calabasas, to his home, a couple weeks ago. Which is crazy because, you know, for four years, you sort of can't find anybody in his camp. You don't know <laughs> anything about, like, you know, we were reaching out to his, like, ex-girlfriend. <laughs> You know, we we were reaching Listen, out to like publicists who were not his publicist, managers who I, were not his manager. There's Jeff, there may be people who are listening to us for the first time and are like, who are these psychopaths and why do they have this one mission? Well, 
I will say we didn't like show up at his house uninvited. Like, like that, that would that would be <laughs> actual psychopathic behavior. Right. We we did not do that. We did show up at the assigned time, uh-huh. 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. He woke up at 3 p.m. Yeah. because he had been partying until 5 a.m. with his neighbor Drake. Yeah. And by neighbor Drake, I mean actual neighbor Drake. They well, live right next door to each other because Drake was throwing a bunch of parties. His neighbors complained. And so Drake bought them out and put his dad in one house and his friends in another house. Listen. And so now it's like a godfather compound. That, that is the perfect way to do it. Yeah. This is the brain that we wanted to pick. Yeah. You know, he is well, he is more than just a mustache, yeah. more than just any TMZ interview, and more than just Drake's dad. So happy Father's Day to Dennis Graham. Yes. Big happy Father's Day to him. Happy Father's Day to Drake, actually. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, those who are fathers, have fathers will be fathers our honorary fathers any of you and every one of you we appreciate you tuning in to this episode and more again if you're new to us we have the really extensive catalog with everyone from common last week and trevor noah the week before to cardi b back in january of 2017 and lil uzi vert and rich Kleiman and jamel hill big face gary swiss beats and just on and on and on a lot of episodes go check them out they're everywhere you want to find them before we get into the actual episode which is very momentarily yes i just want to say that we have plans to take this on the road we want to take this directly to you much like we did when we did our rockefeller show here in New York, when we interviewed DJ Semtex out in London, when we've had live events in LA, Atlanta, Texas, wherever. Wherever. We want to take this to you, and the easiest way to get to you, to tell you all the things that are going on with us, where we're going to be, is for you to sign up for our newsletter. Be the first one to know where we're going to be performing. Be the first one to know who's going to be on the podcast. Be the first one to know all the things It's The Real Go to itsthereal.com. Sign up for our newsletter today. Jeff, when do you want to get into this episode? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Dennis's Mustache, a.k.a. Memphis Grizzly. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Digging in the Stash Box, a.k.a. Ram Bam. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, uh, okay, this is Dennis <laughs> Graham, guys. <laughs> What's up? Yes, yeah, your third favorite podcast to waste time with It's The Real. Dennis, what's happening? Uh, not much, man. Just here with you guys. Yeah. Thank uh, you for inviting us into your beautiful home. You're welcome. So this has been a long time coming. The longest. Yeah. Sophie Ash put this into play. And uh, man, you are uh, the internet's favorite person. You're our favorite person. And we're so glad that we were able to make this happen. You know what? My brother Jeff over there, on last Halloween, we went to two different parties in New York. And he was not just dressed up as you for one, but dressed up as you for both. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Look at that. Hell, I thought that was me. Wow. Yo, people online thought that I was you. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> That's amazing. And then you can scroll through. Yeah. Oh, really? There's a so, whole bunch of them. So, so yeah. Because I, oh, wow. I, I, uh, I did Dennis Graham two ways because I did uh, the, the suit with the... Um, with the Jordans, but I also did the uh, the track suit with the hard bottoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so oh, he got the hat right, he got the do rag right, yeah, right? Yeah, that is sunglasses. crazy. Sunglasses, and, and most importantly, the mustache. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. That is nuts. How long have you had your mustache for? Um, I, there's a little story about my mustache. When we were growing up in uh, Memphis, uh, all my brothers, I, I think we we started drinking around the age of... 15. Yeah. And uh, because I had a mustache, I was the only one 
that could go in a liquor store and buy liquor. <laughs> now, they didn't question me. No, no ID, no nothing, because I had a mustache. So. Have you ever shaved your mustache ever since then? No. Never? No, never. Well, not I don't even, even like, know what I look like without it. <laughs> so not even like if any any uh, Hollywood places like need you to to shave it for a role, like it's off the table. Yeah, no, it's not off the table if they, they want to pay money for me oh. to shave it. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, there is a price. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, of course I'll shave it for two million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we love to hear a person's whole story. Let's go back to the very beginning. Where are you originally from? Uh, I am from Memphis, Tennessee. What was it like growing up in Memphis? I mean, that is a music city right there. Yeah, it's a music city, but it was very, very depressing. How's that? Um, uh, it's just so backwards. Um, so the racial tensions in Memphis uh, when I was growing up yeah. in, in the 60s. Yeah. You know? uh, but... Uh, I mean, we got through it. You said you have brothers. Uh, how many of there were you? Uh, there were eight of us. Wow. Well, actually nine. But I had a little brother to pass away, so. Oh, I'm sorry uh, to hear that. Uh, uh, sudden infant death. And so. where do you fall in line amongst the eight? I am number three. Number three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's got to be wild on Thanksgiving. That's got to be wild on a lot of, like, family functions, right? That's yeah, a lot of. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's, that's a, a big family. And yeah, so, we were raised by a single mother. Uh, and she was uh, an officer and a gentleman with us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she kept us in line. So. What was she doing for work? Uh, my mom was a, a nurse. That's long hours to begin with, plus she has eight children to take right, care of. Right, Well, um, I had my oldest brother live with my aunt, and uh, my brother George and I, we were the overseer of the younger siblings mm. so so that's what taught us discipline and how to raise the kids and cook and wash diapers early uh, back then you had to wash diapers they didn't yeah. have pampers so. yeah do you remember where you were when you found out that martin luther king was assassinated yes where were I you was in memphis uh, right off of uh about Two miles away from, uh, two or three miles away from where he got assassinated. The Lorraine Motel, yeah. yeah. How did the word get to you? Um, TV. And what was the feeling like in the city after that? Um, crazy. Everything was on fire. Um, tanks were rolling down the street. They had the National Guard. Uh, people were uh, looting, and it was crazy. I've never seen anything like that. Did you actually go outside during that, or were you... Uh, I didn't actually go to where all the action was. Right. Um, but because we were so close, all the Army and National Guard had to come through our neighborhood to get to the actual site of the uh, Lorraine Motel. So. Did school just, like, sort of close? Did you get an extended period where you didn't have to attend class or anything? Or uh, I don't remember that. Yeah. Um, but it's also like a different time. I feel like people will respond to like happenings differently now. There were there were uh, curfews, so no one was allowed to go out in the city anywhere. Mm. You know, so there was a, there was no school mm. because uh, everything was uh, under a curfew then. So. What kind of area did you grow up in in Memphis? Like what section? Uh, we lived right off of. There's a, a famous section in Memphis called Bill Street. Mm-hmm. We live right off of Beale Street. Not like the Beale Street as it is now. It was. It's not like a tourist area. Yeah. Yeah. No, it wasn't like that. It was more like a, a 
uh, I had all the clubs where you come out, uh, sort of like uh, Bourbon Street in mm. New Orleans. It was all music clubs. And you walked down, and it was like a carnival. They had barbecue tents set up every day. It was like a carnival. So, um, And I used to jump out of my bedroom window every night after my mom <laughs> went to sleep. <laughs> and I'd go down on Bill Street and hang out. That's how I got into music. So, yeah? Yeah. You know. Well, so who were you seeing, like, in those clubs? B.B. Uh, King. Ooh, wow. Uh, Bobby Bland. Wow. Um, God, it's everybody. Uh, everybody that was uh, uh, affiliated with blues. Well, what'd you know about Sun Records and what'd you know about Stax back then? Um, I knew about Sun. Sun was uh, uh, Sun was for the basically for the white guys. Yep. Um, well, Jerry Lee, uh, Paul Perkins, uh, Roy Orbison, Elvis, Elvis was there. Presley. Yeah, yep. uh, that's where they recorded it, and Stax was for the black. Guys, Otis Redding, uh, Rufus Thomas, uh, Al, not Al Green. Al Green recorded at Royal Studios, uh, uh, my uh, uncle's studio. Mm. So. But Stax was the place. And even though it was like really a Stax city, did you respond to Motown music as well? Of course. Yeah. I mean, that was that was in our era, you know, the uh, Supremes, the Temptations, and Smokey Robinson, and. Yeah, that was that was our era. So, when did you actually start playing music? I started around about God. I started playing the guitar at maybe about ten years old because I used to play for. We had a, a revivals in our neighborhood on Wednesday night, and uh, it was a group that used to get uh, forming an apartment every Wednesday, and we would sing, and I just strum the guitar along with them. So I was about ten. And that was acoustic? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. 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 Did your older brothers play? No. no. So you were the first of the bunch? I was the only musician in the family. Mm. Uh, but my brother Chris later watched us rehearse because I used to sing with a group in high school, um, Terry and Jerry Williams and myself. And mm. we actually performed um, uh, little uh, shows in high school. Temptations. We were singing the Temptations stuff. So. What'd you call yourselves? Uh, we didn't have a name. Oh. <laughs> Mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. Terry yeah. and Jerry Williams. So. <laughs> and then Terry went on to work with Al Green? No. 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 Uh, Terry passed away, actually. Wow. He got hit on the leg with a baseball and passed away. So. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Caused cancer in his leg. And they wanted to amputate his leg, so uh, he wouldn't allow that. And he passed away. But his brother Jerry is still alive. But um, no, he had he wasn't affiliated with Al Green. Gotcha. Uh, um, I was. Uh, I think you're probably talking about Teeny Hodges. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Teeny is my cousin, and uh, Teeny played the guitar for Al for a lot of years, and Teeny wrote all the songs. Uh, most of Al's songs. Teeny Love and wrote, happiness. Love and happiness. Yep. Tired of being alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Take Me to the River. Yeah. Uh, he wrote all those. So. Did you take pride in what Memphis had like, oh, to of offer? Course, yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, there was so many people that came through Memphis and so much that happened in Memphis. It, uh, man, it was like, it, it's something to be proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. you got to have pride. Yeah. 
so did you think that you were going to like stay around Memphis like as a as a home base for most of your life? I didn't stay around Memphis. I left Memphis when I was 17. At the end of high school, you just saw a brighter future somewhere else? Right, right. I I was working at the Holiday Inn when I turned 18. Uh, I was playing piano at the Holiday Inn down on the river. And uh, I met my first wife there. She was a cocktail waitress. Her name was Regina Roseberry. And we got married in Memphis, and because Memphis was such a, she was a, she was white, and uh, because Memphis was so prejudiced, we decided to move to Las Vegas. Mm. So we moved to Vegas uh, in 1971. I think. What is Vegas in '71 like? Not like it is today. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> nothing like it is today. Uh, the Strip was. Um, you had the Stardust, and uh, then you had Fremont Street downtown, the Queens. And, but uh, Circus Circus was a tent. It was just a tent on the cor- on a corner, a huge yeah. tent. So all all the stuff that you see now, Vegas was nothing like that. And you couldn't get a job in Vegas uh, unless you went before the Nevada Resort Union, which were twelve mafia guys. Oh. Uh, even if you wanted a job as a dishwasher, a busboy, you had to go before these guys. So. And what kind of job were you looking for? I was playing piano. Yeah. Well, so I you played s- piano at Stardust. And so you went before them? Yeah. And they said, all right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you got that gig? Yeah, I played piano at Stardust for oh God, a couple of years. Well, in a band or just like in the. No, lobby? by myself. Oh, in wow. a cocktail lounge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and. Um, after that, I moved to Houston, Texas, and, and went to university, uh, University of Houston. So, wow, Cougars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, what brought you down there, though? Like, you wanted to get a to degree Houston? in, yeah. Uh, my wife's uh, best friend lived there, and we got sick of Vegas, so we moved to Houston, and we both uh, finished university in Houston. So. What'd you major in? Uh, journalism. Did you want to do print journalism or television? No, I went for television. Wow. Yeah. And did you end up getting a job in media? I didn't. I started playing drums. So and, uh, so at that point, you can play guitar, you can play piano, right. and you can play drums. Right. right. How did you get started playing drums? Um, back then, uh, before I left Memphis, there was a... Um, you know the round bathtubs, the metal tubs that people used to take baths sure, in? Sure, sure. Well, I used that as a bass drum. All right. Uh, and you know uh, the old mops that people use, when they worn out, I used to use that as a mallet. And my cousin played a cardboard box. And so we had bass and- You guys uh, were like Fat Albert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, we played, uh, that's how I got started. And one day- uh, on Casa Street, off of Bill Street, uh, at the Sheraton Motel, uh, James Brown was performing. Whoa. And this was like, this is what they used to do back then. Like James Brown, people like that, uh, Roy Orbison, uh, they played at the Sheraton. It was just a hotel. And uh, James Brown heard my cousin and I playing uh, a bass drum, a tub, and a cardboard box. And we had it so together that it brought him out on the balcony to listen to us. You're kidding. That's how, 
yeah, I mean, we were, we really played well. You know, like, you know how people sit around with the uh, uh, plastic tubs now and play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we did. The same same caliber. You know, so uh, James Brown heard us, and uh, he called me over. He said, "Hey, come here." And uh, I was a young kid, you know, like a little boy actually. And he said, "Come here for a second. <laughs> so I went over to the balcony, and he. Uh, Call the drummer outside on the balcony, and I said, hey, "Listen to these kids," and uh, uh, we played for him. You know, we stood down on the, and played, and uh, he said, uh, "Give him your drums. I'll get you some more." So that's my first set of drums. What? Drums. Wow! Yeah, you're kidding. Wow! You knew who James Brown was, of course. Yeah, <laughs> were, yeah. But you weren't. Were you like freaking out? No, I wasn't freaking out. No, no, no. By the way, people can hear that in the background. That is your ringtone. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. ringtone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, so you're in Houston and you're playing drums now. But, uh, but yeah. f- for who? Uh, I played with a jazz quartet. Um, uh, uh, it's four. It was uh, Tex Allen. And uh, what do your in-laws think about like a career in music? My in-laws? Yeah, at that I point. Didn't, I didn't know them. Oh, really? Mm-mm, no, they lived in Paris, Tennessee, and some of the most prejudiced people you'd ever want to yeah, meet. Yeah, damn. I was going to say, like, so, so so did she just, like, cut off contact with her parents? She kept in contact with her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, her father was, uh, I Not don't think, in her life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she kept in touch with her mother, and her mother was... One of the most prejudiced people you'd ever want to meet. We didn't. We didn't even. We didn't have to deal with them, you know. Like we didn't deal with them. So, and how'd you find Houston as a city? Hot. Yeah. <laughs> Hot and sticky. Uh, Houston was. It was. I mean, I had to make the best of it. Sure. Yeah. Was, you know. Where did you see yourself like going? Like, where was the opportunity for you as a as a musician? I mean, it could have been like L.A. It could have been New York. I guess it could have been. Um, the Chitlin Circuit, anything? Well, no, I played in uh, upscale jazz clubs. Yeah. Um, I started doing the Chitlin Circuit until I formed my own band. So. And that was later in life. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there is there is an idea that, um, you know, a lot of people think that you have an affiliation with Grand Central Station. No. That, that you are uh, brothers with Larry. Mm-hmm. What is the, what is the real truth of of any relationship? Larry there? is my for one of my cousins. Larry is my cousin. Were you close growing up in any way, or we were not close growing up? Uh, when I moved to California in 1977, uh, Larry and I uh, sort of formed a union then. Mm. But uh, and we've been talking ever since. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, we weren't close. Uh, you know, uh, you and he look very much alike. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> Got the same I, mustache. Yeah. So. He could also buy beer at a young age. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I uh, saw a picture of Larry in New York um, doing an interview. And at first glance, I thought that was me. <laughs> I went, what? <laughs> I, I, I seriously thought it was me. Uh, so he had the hat and yeah. I wear it, everything. I mean, like. But where do you get your suits? Um, I have my own suit line. Uh, it's from a, a company called Max Menswear, mm-hmm. M-A-K-S Menswear. Mm. Um, 
That's where most of my suits come from. And you just like say, I want uh, like a red, you know, and yeah, I, I want to um, cut a certain I, way. I tell them how to style them. I tell them what I want because, mm. uh, you know, I don't like the short off your butt cut. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I like the Italian fit, the long yeah. one, so. Uh, yeah, but they make whatever I tell them. Right? When so. you're in Houston and you're and you're playing jazz, do you think that jazz is is your future, or are you just up for like whatever gig will come your way? I I was open for whatever. I mean, I uh, I did uh, R and B gigs and everything. You know? And were you into uh, like writing your own music and starting your own groups and just sort of? Not back then. Mm-hmm. I was I was merely a, a, a drummer. I was just a drummer back then. And what do you think your best talents were as a drummer? Could you keep time well? Could you... Oh, oh yeah. I was yeah in how, were your, how were your flams? Yeah. yeah <laughs> I was in pocket. Yeah. yeah. I was very in pocket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I could do whatever anybody else could do. I yeah. put it like that. But uh, um, we also did, uh, I played in groups uh, that played Led Zeppelin back then. Uh, all kinds of things, so. And what's the scene like down in Houston? I mean, that's a that's a that's a spread out city. Yeah, it was. A, I lived in Third Ward, mm-hmm. right off of a street called Westheimer. Um, it was uh, booming back then because all the clubs were going. I mean, like it was really a beautiful club scene back then. So. Did you get a chance to to tour around? Uh, not during those times. I wasn't touring. I didn't start touring until I moved uh, to L.A. And so that came next, right? From Houston to LA. Well, from Houston, I went back to Memphis for a few months. Um, played the club scene there. I had a band called um, the Mandrake Band back in the day, and we played Midtown Memphis. What kind of music? Um, we started doing Rare Earth, uh, Otis Redding, uh, R and B, a lot of R and B. Uh, it was a guy, uh, Samuel Chico Skinner, Jerry Holloway, Sam, uh, Samuel Chico played bass, Jerry Holloway played um, guitar, and I played drums. It was mm. a three-piece band. Were you guys uh, nice? Yeah, we were good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 I had uh, a 14-room house there. Fourteen so, room house? Mm-hmm. That's too many rooms. Yeah. <laughs> what did you What did you put in all the rooms? I, I know all your there, brothers. What happened? By yeah. myself. Yeah. No, I lived there alone. Uh, and um, finally, Jerry and uh, Chico moved in with me. You know, as roommates, and uh, we practice every day. Practice every day, so uh, we became very good. Yeah, you can choose a different room to practice in every day. You <laughs> no, know? we had one room that we practiced in. <laughs> In order to generate revenue, we set it up so we uh, start renting it out. We had Al Green to rehearse there. We had anybody that came through Memphis came to my house to rehearse. Really? For their shows. Who's the most random person that stopped by your house? Oh, God. Bernard Purdy. Are you familiar with Bernard? I'm not, no. Uh, Bernard Purdy was one of the most flamboyant drummers I've ever met in my life. He's so good. There's, I wouldn't touch a set of drums in front of this guy. <laughs> That's how good he was. So, uh, but we had everybody. We had uh, we had Johnny Taylor. We had um, Bobby Bland. We had uh, OJs. We had so many people come through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a hotel. Yeah. Well, yeah. 14 rooms. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't rent it out for people to stay. 
Only for rehearsals. Rehearsals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you still with Regina at this time? No. That relationship's that was, over. That ended in 1974. We got married in 71, and uh, I left her in Houston. When I left Houston, she stayed She stayed behind. Gotcha. And she joined the, she was a, uh, joined the sheriff's department. She was a uh, sheriff's officer. Hmm. So when you went back to Memphis, did you think that it was going to be a fresh start back there? I went back just to regroup. Yeah. To collect my thoughts mm-hmm. and decide what path I was going to take. So. And music was that path. Music was the path. That was the only thing I've ever done. Yeah. Well. Uh, so what? What told you to move to to Los Angeles? Uh. Being bored with Memphis. That Memphis. There was not enough happening in Memphis, and not enough money, in Memphis to keep me there. So, uh, my brother, George, and uh, another guy, Marvin Detman, and myself packed our stuff, got in the car, and drove from Memphis to L.A. Wow. Did you know anybody out there besides the people you were coming with? Uh, I didn't. No. Well, uh, George and uh, Marvin ended up going back to Memphis. They couldn't handle the... Uh, Hollywood life. But, uh, <laughs> I stayed. I stayed, and uh, I was. Uh, I stayed in LA for uh, eight years. Okay, you lived in Las Vegas. You lived in Houston. You lived in Memphis. Uh, all big cities, all different in their own right. But right. nothing's like Los Angeles. No. So no. you come out here, and what? Are, what is your nightlife like? What is you know? What are you doing during the day? Like, how do you survive as a musician? I came out here, and I met this lady. Her name was Mary Alice Brown. Uh, she was uh, had a she played the Hammond B three like mm-hmm. that. That's not a Hammond B three, but uh, right. it's the same idea. And she played the bass with the pedals there, which is what that is. And I played drums, so it was like a three piece band because she was so good. I mean, like such an excellent player. Um, and we played. Uh, there used to be a, a, a restaurants and a bar combination out here called the Hungry Tiger. I met her. We this is when I first got here. And, uh, we we had a jam session at a place out here called Jake's Back Room, mm-hmm. and I used to go to the jam sessions. This was this was the beginning of California, and I I went to the jam sessions and uh, I sat in with Mary Alice Brown. So we we played so well together that we formed a duo, and. Uh, I played, we played together for years. We did all the Hungry Tiger circuits uh, from here in L.A. to San Francisco, uh, Palos Verdes, Marina del Rey. They had them all over California. Um, so that, that's how I survived. Did you think that there was like a recording contract in your future? I didn't think about a recording contract then because I was just a drummer. Um, I didn't really think about recording contracts until I moved to Toronto. Um, and that's when I started singing. Yeah. I stopped playing drums and I formed a band and I started singing. So So you're out here and you're playing, but like, are there times when you think that it's just not going to work? No, 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 I never thought you were all in. Yeah. I mean, this was my life. This was my thing. Uh, I wasn't going to give up and say uh, I'm not. I, I was doing well. 
I was making enough money to pay my rent. Um, I had a car. I had what kind of I car? had a life, huh? What kind of car? I had a uh, Fiat Spider convertible. Mm. Um, I, I bought that in uh, in the valley. I think I paid thirteen hundred dollars for it, brand new. Well, <laughs> yeah. What'd so. you like best about Los Angeles back then? Uh, the nightlife. Yeah. Nightlife was... Well, that hasn't changed. That was the only... No, that <laughs> hasn't changed at all. I mean, I still like the nightlife. Right? Yeah. This is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're a, you're a whiskey guy, I'm guessing? Back then, I think I drank uh, uh, vodka and club soda. But right now, I only drink white wine, so... Mm. No. White or red? Yeah, <laughs> I'm a wine wine guy now. Did you did you end up at any like random parties back then, like at mansions that you never thought you would be? Oh in? God, yes. Yeah? Uh, I went to a, a party with Joe Cocker. Mm. Uh, I went to parties with the Jacksons. Wow. Uh, we were everywhere. I mean, we <laughs> played. We played at their parties. Really, Mary Mary Alice Brown and myself. Um, anybody had a party in Hollywood. I didn't want a big band. They hired us. Yeah. Yeah, we played everywhere for everybody's party. I mean, yeah. Though we played at Joe Cocker's party, and, oh, man, that's, like, in a, in a mansion. It was just unbelievable. It was, like, we, we played for a lot of people. I mean, so, at the end of that period of time in L.A., what made you leave? I did a gig with, uh... uh Jerry Lee Lewis in, 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 in Toronto. So how did that come to be, by the way? I mean, did you was there like a Memphis connection? Did yeah. You... Um, oh, boy. This was... Uh, there, Jerry Lee was playing one night in Memphis at a club called the Hot Air Balloon. Uh, it was a Yosemite Sam's downstairs and the Hot Air Balloon upstairs. <laughs> and his drummer... Tarp, my friend, good friend, Tarp Turant. Tarp uh, was a drummer for Jerry Lee. So Tarp and I went across the street to the 7-Eleven for cigarettes. And uh, Tarp goes in the 7-Eleven and tells the lady at the counter, "Um, I'm the drummer for Jerry Lee Lewis. Um... I don't have any money, but I want to get a six-pack of beer and a pack of cigarettes, and I'll come back and I'll pay you after we finish playing tonight. So the lady said, I don't care. I don't care who you play for. I can't give you beer and cigarettes. So Tarp had a twenty-two pistol in his pocket. He pulls out the pistol and takes the beer and cigarettes. Man, I left right away. Uh, no, I'm a, bro. I'm not doing this. Yeah, no, yeah. He was nuts. You're not an accomplice. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not. I, I ran out the door as soon as he pulled the pistol out. So he really uh, wanted that beer and cigarettes so I badly. Know, yeah. Oh man, every cop in Memphis was there in a matter of seconds. Oh my god. Yeah. So he got arrested that night for armed robbery. And uh, Jerry needs a drummer. I finished the set. Out. I finished the night out with Jerry Lee. Holy shit! That's wow, how that guy came about. Did you know? And you knew Jerry before that? Yeah, I mean, I used to go watch him every Sunday night at the Hot Air Balloon. So how? Wait, so how did you explain yeah, it to how him? How did you explain it to Jerry? Uh, hey, your drummer is currently <laughs> in jail. Uh, I didn't have to explain it. Um, my friend, uh, 
Oh God, I don't remember. I I'm I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, he was Jerry Lee's manager. Oh shit. Uh, look up Jerry Lee's manager, sir. Um, uh, God, God, and we hang out all the time. One of one of my best friends. Mm. Um. Oh God, I'm drawing a blank. I'll get it. I mean, I, yeah. it's gonna come yeah. to me. But yeah. uh, 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 he was the one that set it up for me to finish that night out. So, wow. So that established a relationship between you and Jerry, right? And right. then all of a sudden, you're just part of the crew. Yeah, I just uh, started uh, playing with him in different places. Uh, he came to LA, and then we did a gig in Toronto. That's how I ended up in Toronto. And what is Jerry like at that time? Like this is like uh, yeah, not his heyday. Yeah, not. Well, but he also like he killed it in the seventies. Huh? Like Jerry was getting like number ones on the country charts yeah, in the seventies. So Jerry like he was, was still like uh, Jerry was uh, a great ball of fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that what you guys would close with? Huh? Is that what you guys would close with? Is that what we would close with? Yeah. yeah. What, great, great ball, ball of fire. Oh, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm just saying him as a person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, well. So, uh, he was a wild I, dude? He was hell on wheels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to all you guys? Uh, no. Well, I mean, he's cool with us. Yeah. But, uh, it was just rambunctious. Yeah. You know, was, uh, Did he ever pull a pistol out at a 7 Eleven? No. <laughs> no. So you've been around Wilder. I know, yeah. yeah well, well. So, okay, so that takes you up to Toronto. Had you been to Toronto before? No, I hadn't been to Toronto at that point. Oh, J.W. Whitten. That's his name. All right, J.W. J.W. <laughs> was my buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I talked to J.W. Uh, yeah. Uh, God, I, talk, I went to Memphis and I saw J.W. We had uh, Is that right? Together. Yeah. Uh, of course, he's a old, a much older guy now. Yeah, yeah. Did you see J.W. Whitten? No. No. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, We're going to take J- your word, J- though. JW, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> Had you been to Toronto before? No. So what is that like going up there for the first time? Um, was it cold or was this during like the no, summer months? No, it was during the summer months. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, we did this. We were at the Skyline Hotel. It's called the Skyline Hotel out by the airport. And that's where I met Sandy. My second wife, mm-hmm. uh, Drake's mother. Right. Yeah. Mm, I and was, so this uh, is uh, like 1984. Mm, 1983, 84. All right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and she is is she working there? Is no, she, she was uh, just a fan, a patron. Okay. Uh, at the bar, and I was looking for a pack of cigarettes. Did you get it? Uh, I was <laughs> asking the bartender uh, where I could I buy cigarettes, and Sandy happened to be standing there. Uh, so she said, oh, here, have one of mine. And so that's how we met. So mm-hmm. we started talking. Wait, what kind of cigarette was it? Uh, it was a Quartz. Okay. All right. uh, so it was Canadian like a Virginia brand. Slim. Yeah, yeah. Know, something that like, you wouldn't be. Yeah. No, no Virginia Slim. <laughs> 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 no, no, no. So you guys have that connection. Yeah. And is this something where you're like, all right, this is a relationship that will keep going? Or were you just like, cool? Uh, no, we talk periodically. Uh she was a school teacher, and uh, we talked on the phone and uh, uh, came back for another visit, and we finally hooked up and uh, fell in love from there. Yeah. Yeah, so we got married in 1985. In Canada? 
in Toronto. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you stayed. Yeah, her dad sponsored me. Um, uh, Ruben Shear was his name. They sponsored me uh, to stay in Canada. So uh, nicer in-laws. Yeah, like the in-laws, up, up they fucked with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were Jewish. Uh, yeah, they, yeah. Uh, they were uh, uh, the most her dad. Mm-hmm. Like I never know. I never knew my dad. Uh, but this man was more like my father than anybody had ever been in my life. I wow. Mean, like, it was just so Super beautiful. supportive, you know. Yes, yeah. yes. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Wait, did you, did you smash the glass at the wedding? Like, was it like a Jewish wedding? Uh, I don't know. We didn't smash a glass. Hmm. I don't think. Maybe we did. <laughs> Maybe sure. you were drinking, you know. Uh, I was so drunk at the yeah. wedding, I don't remember what happened. Uh, I probably broke a few yeah. glasses. You know, like. Did you jump on the piano at all to play at the yes, wedding? Yes, yes. Really? I played piano. Yeah, that night. I, I did. We had our wedding reception at a place. Uh, where was it? Aber, uh, Davenport and... And Young Street. It was at a, a, a restaurant called Luigi's. And we had our wedding reception there. And I just happened to be, that's where I got a job playing piano every night at Luigi's restaurant. So we ended up having our wedding reception there just due to the fact yeah. that I was playing already playing piano there. So. What was your first dance to? Oh, I don't remember all that. (laughs) (laughs) Shit, if I could tell you that, I'd be a mathematician right now. Hey guys, we just want to take one second to pull back the curtain and say that if you like what you are hearing right now, or on any other episode, but if you're listening to other episodes, you won't hear this message, but if you like what you're hearing right now, then the best way to support us and this independent movement that we are doing is to go to itsthereal.com slash shop and buy one of our items today. That means mugs, t-shirts, notebooks. It's all for sale and it's all good stuff. High quality is the only way we know how to operate. Go to itsthereal.com slash shop and buy something today. Support your boys at It's The Real. So what's the scene like up in Toronto then? Ah, oh, beautiful, man. I mean, that was so the cultural change. It was so different. The nightlife was so different. I was just... Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it was just booming. Yeah. And so, uh, not long after, you have a son, mm-hmm. and that's Drake. 1986. And uh, and what's it like raising a child up in Toronto? Uh, fabulous for us, because <laughs> by then, uh, uh, we had a... Uh, um, I started doing um, silk flowers like these. Yeah. And, uh, um, As in, like, manufacturing them? Not manufacturing design. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I did all these. Wow. Well, that's dope. So, um, uh, so we had a factory. We had a factory with eight children in it. Uh, Sandy's parents owned the biggest mattress factory with uh, baby car seats, baby cribs, all mattresses and foam and... So they had uh, Bo Peep Nurseries, and they 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 uh, distributed it to everybody across Canada. Um, and he had a empty uh, warehouse that they weren't using. So I took that warehouse and turned it into uh, uh, um, 
uh, interior design place uh, doing my flowers and stuff like that and uh, called Special Effects. And I did quite well. Well, wow. hmm. uh, I, I, I designed flowers for people's houses. I mean, I did huge things, not little bouquets. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. I did 10-foot ceilings uh, in people's houses. I designed yeah. stuff like that. And um, I would try to do uh, at least four houses a day. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you're doing all right in, in Toronto. Right. Um, how often would you get back home to visit down in, in Memphis? Uh, not often. I mean, I had no interest in running back and forth down. I would go down for a visit maybe every once a year. Yeah, yeah. to see the family and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, were you still playing up in Toronto? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I, actually, we rehearsed in my factory. Um, I had uh, eight children, so I had uh, my uh, drum, everything, drums, Piano, everything set up in my office. I had a really huge office upstairs. And uh, I, that's where, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of Drake with me holding Drake at a piano and a microphone in front of him. I had a pink sweater on. Mm-hmm. But that was in my office. So that's where we used to rehearse at. Oh, that's dope. And I would keep Drake during the day when he was a little baby mm-hmm. uh, in my office while I uh, worked right outside the door designing. So. Wow. What was Drake like as a kid? He's a good kid. Yeah, he's a good kid. He never cried. He's uh, happy, smiling. Uh, he was a great kid. Uh, How did you first recognize his creativity as a as a young kid? Uh, Drake was different. He was different. We got him started into uh, uh, print work, uh, like Toys R Us, magazines, uh, Sears, um well, how did a, that happen? Like, did somebody did somebody reach out and say, "I want to"? No, I we we uh, I told uh, my wife that uh, Drake had that look, mm. and we should put him into doing modeling. And um, was so Sandy he, on board like immediately? Oh, of course, okay, of course, yeah. We had his uh, pictures done and got him an agent, and mm-hmm. there we go. He started working as a young kid. This was like. Four or five years old. Regularly, too? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we took Drake to the sets every day. So photographs in, in different, you know, print right. pieces. When was in the, uh, the Royal Bank. Had a banner a banner of Drake uh, as a kid. Um, yeah, it was crazy how, how he got started, actually. Was there a natural progression into actual uh, acting work there? Yeah. He said, told me what he wanted to do. Um, at I think he was around seven or eight. Dad, I want to do because I was an actor in Canada. Also, I did uh, uh, a series in Canada called Night Heat, and uh, I did uh, movies. Uh, I did a few movies. So, what kind of roles are you playing? Uh, I played a detective. Um, I've been a, a reporter, news mm-hmm. reporter, mm-hmm. and uh, um, journalism degree. Yeah, 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 yeah. method yeah. acting. Yeah. So uh, uh, when Drake became seven or eight years old, he said, "Dad, man, I want to do exactly what you're doing when I grow up." So I said, I, "Well, of course, I wanted him to be a lawyer." Yeah. <laughs> Thank God that didn't happen. Well, I mean, you know, he uh, is Jewish. So yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I went to uh, Kohl's, I think, and I started buying acting books. 
you know, little acting uh, uh, scenes, acting scenes. Mm -hmm. So we started reading. I started reading with him back and forth. Taught him how to laugh, taught him how to cry, taught him how to smile, how to be happy, how to be sad. Uh, so you're looking at this seven, eight-year-old kid, and you just you just see it. Yeah, he had it. Yeah. He had it. I knew he had it. And then uh, auditions would come? Yeah. We, we took him out all kinds of auditions. Like uh, commercials, commercials, TV programs, yeah. TV. And uh, at the age of nine, he landed uh, Degrassi. All right. What did you know about that type of life for, for a kid like that? Like, did you have any expectations, and how did Degrassi meet that? Um, no, he was just looking for a part. <laughs> part in television. Uh, and he landed the part in the Up Degrassi at the age of nine and stayed there to 16, I think. Mm. Yeah, so... Uh, but yeah. were you concerned with, like, how that would, like, affect his social life or how it would affect his studies or anything? No, uh, my... Uh, our whole thing... Uh, my whole thing for Drake was uh, trying to get him to the star level. And Degrassi did that. Now, I wanted him to be a star. Yeah. And he did that with Degrassi. Were you going to set with him for Degrassi? Yeah. What was that like? Uh... As a parent, it was uh, it was it was wonderful to watch him do his scenes and you know like be on the set. Sandy and I both took him. Mm -hmm. Sometimes she would take him, sometimes I would take him, and sometimes we'd go together. Yeah. So we 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 hung on the set uh, for uh, quite quite a few years with him. Were uh, there any storylines that you were just like, like uh, this is crazy? <laughs> um, the only one that got me. Now, that made me feel some type of way was when he got shot in the back. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that that one sort of hit me. Yeah. yeah. Hit home because um, thinking about the reality of that, you know, like, uh, that's one I didn't like. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then to see him, like, actually act it out, it's right. got to be, like, a very. Right. Right. Did you have any type of feeling when he reunited the the Degrassi uh, cast for the recent music video? Uh, I saw that and I thought it was wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it was so good to actually see all those kids that you knew as little kids to uh, see them again as adults. That yeah. was beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. When do you and Sandy, you know, part ways? I guess. Uh, well, that we never parted ways. We never parted ways. I've never left them. I've been if if we uh, when I did uh, move out, um, I was right in the next building, mm. you know, and I came back. But I've never I I uh, moved away from Canada. Uh, Drake was seventeen when I left Canada, so but there was never any leaving them. We've always been together we've always been friends um there's never been any any uh animosity uh amongst us so never, i've never left them okay and you look so. back at your time in toronto with a lot of uh like love for the city yes yeah. yes yes most definitely that was uh the highlight of my life yeah, this yeah. is where I prospered most in my life. So it's a it's a very culturally diverse city. Yes, it yeah. is. It's it's a a very cool city. Right. right. Um, and your son has a lot of responsibility for the mega city that it's become lately. But what was it like in the eighties, in the nineties, as a as a city itself? 
Um, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Toronto reminded me a lot of New York. It's um, the same type city as New York. The same uh, uh, nightlife. The same. Uh, it's multi-ethnic. Uh, everything. I mean, it's so New York. Did it offer you a lot of opportunities as a musician? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I started, I formed my band in 1985. Uh, I started playing as Dennis Graham and the North Memphis Band. That's one of the plaques that somebody sent me from Toronto there. And that was back when I first started. And that's you singing. Yes, yes. So, so you hadn't been a singer before necessarily, like front, uh, front, I've front and center. I sang all my life. I started singing in high school. Yeah, but front and center. Front and center with Terry and Jerry Williams. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, what made you want to sort of like reclaim that that spot? I was tired of playing drums. You know? <laughs> uh, it was a uh, at night when you're playing drums. I, I mean, it's such a strenuous instrument that you're sweaty. Yep. You're tired. All your legs are sore, your arms are sore. Everybody else can walk off and party, uh, but at the You've end of the night, as a drummer, down, like, all you want to do is go and get some rest. <laughs> yeah. you <know>? like, so, <laughs> so, uh, so you started singing then? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Formed Dennis Graham and the North Memphis Band. And what is the song that you're most proud of from that time? Uh, a song that I vowed never to sing again in my life, and that was a uh, uh, um, song by B.B. King, uh, uh, Thrill is Gone. Mm. Well, I never sang that song again. I sang it for so many nights. <laughs> uh, After you move from Canada, where do you end up? Uh, I moved back to Memphis for... Uh, a couple of years, a few years, because my mom was sick and uh, she was passing away. And Drake was the one that uh, convinced me to do that. He goes, Dad, uh, man, I'm 17 now. I'm good, man. You're my, he said, you're going through changes with, I had a girlfriend named Joan. And she was going through changes with her, man. Just uh, Your mom is sick. Just go back to Memphis, man, and hang out. You know, go and be with your mom. She's sick. So that release me from you know like uh the thought of not wanting to leave him mm-hmm. uh and uh it gave me the uh the, the uh, thoughts and courage that i needed to leave him uh, and go to memphis and be with my mom and how, how she passed away and how tough is that to go back home to a sick mom and at a place that you know you have mixed feelings about like as far uh, as the city uh it was uh, a, a cultural shock uh, a difference, yeah, very different. Uh, like, Heavy, yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Uh, and uh, and so you were down there for how long? I stayed in Memphis for over uh, six years after I moved back. And so, how often? I know that Drake would come down to see you in Memphis. Right. You know that that was very like formidable. Yeah, or formational. It, it, was, it was a really important. Yeah, I would, I would time go back life. to Toronto, get him, and bring him every year. But like him coming down to Memphis, like meant a lot to him. Yeah. And so, yeah. like, what places were you taking him around to? He he hung around the music scenes. Uh, my uncle Willie Mitchell had a uh, Royal Studios, and I started bringing Drake to Memphis as a baby in a car seat hmm. until the age of 
17 when he was uh, uh, eventually helping me drive to Memphis. So that's how long he was coming yeah. back and forth. So. When you bring Drake down as a 17-year-old to, to Memphis and he's meeting all these Memphis musicians, mm-hmm. um, can you see the path that he's going musically? Yeah, I mean, he had started writing at that point. Um, he had started writing his own stuff. Uh, uh, he had a... Oh, God, what was that song? That first, I used to love this song. He never, ever recorded it. Uh, Young and Reckless. Mm. Right, Young and Restless. That was one of the first ones he ever did. And uh, I, I've told him ever since, even up to now, he should record that again. But it was one, one of the nicest things I've heard from him. So. What's the earliest experience you had seeing him in a in a recording studio? Uh, well, I mean, I kept him in a recording studio as a, a child, you know, because he was always in my, at my uncle's studio, uh, Royal Studios in Memphis. So, uh, but, uh, uh, Drake used to, I used to have him on stage with my band. I did a Sunday matinee, and Drake would stand on stage at five, uh, five, six, seven years old, shaped a tambourine with the band. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh. Was there ever a point as a kid where you were just where where Drake was nervous to go on stage or to perform? Do you remember? He had a thing that he used to do that that used to bug me actually. Um, not as a performer, but as an actor, and he would all uh, his nervous spot was always wiping his mouth. Mm. Well, like, uh, I could tell he was nervous, <laughs> so. Would you go over to him at those times and, and say something to him? Or no, were you just, just like leave him, him alone and let home. him process it? I'd tell him when we get home, man, you got to stop wiping your mouth all the time. That's <laughs> a sign of nervousness. Huh? What was your relationship with rap in, let's say, like the 1990s? Did you have an appreciation I of it? I had no relationship with rap until Drake turned me on to it. Wow. Now, so if it came on on the radio, you changed the station? I listened to something different. I, I listened to... Uh, um. Andrea Bocelli. I listened to all types of music. Yeah. I had a wide array of, uh, uh, of music that I listened to. Did so you, were you surprised then when he started rapping? I mean, you, you had other influences that were going into him. Yeah, he's not he singing comes, R&B. He's not singing right, soul. Right, right, right. No, I mean, he he's did it so... He's not singing opera like Andrea uh, Bocelli. Yeah, he did it so well. Like <laughs> he did it so well that uh, uh, I had to go with the flow. You know, he did it very well. I mean, like, he was so good at it. Um, even as a child, I got a, a video of him and my brother, Chris, they're singing and Drake is doing a song by the Fugees, uh, ready or not. Here I come. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 And he was doing Which is a really so- a Delphonic song, but all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Well, did you have an appreciation of like the way that sampling would work, that they would take these known songs and just yeah, put their sure, own twist on it? Sure. 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 Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Wow. So Drake begins his career, and there's uh, momentum behind his career, and people take interest. Do you have any reservations about him getting into the music business, having been a musician for your whole life? Nope. You were for it. Whatever he... I was all for it because I knew exactly where he was going. Cash Money Records. Yeah. Cash Money <laughs> Records. That's it. 2009, that happened. And it's been all uphill from there. So. Well, yeah. How did you celebrate when he signed? Uh, 
I celebrated by going on the tour with him. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, so exciting. I mean, like, this was one of the most exciting times ever. I mean, like, this was this was it. It was a signed, sealed, and delivered deal. You know what I mean? So it was really exciting. Yeah. Well, how were you traveling around the country? On oh, buses? Tour bus. Yeah. Wow. And so, like, how different was your tour experience than his? Um... His was more extravagant. <laughs> uh, mine was a little low key. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his touring was uh, real star star uh, type touring. So. But was there any adjustment for you? Because you know this is like basically like you're acting like a star in the road as well. Like you're yeah part yeah of the yeah I, yeah. I mean like I I had been there by then. I mean like. I mean, I I signed autographs and uh, took pictures with people long before Drake. You know? Yeah. Like, um, uh, but it, it it just elevated. It just elevated after that. Yeah. You know, like after he uh, uh, became a star, like this was like some uh, number one star stuff. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. What was the What was the first moment where you just sort of your jaw dropped and you're like, "This is even bigger than I could have imagined." Uh oh my God, so many. I can't remember the first one, but uh, yeah, man, I we, we uh, this was on a Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley level, especially today. I mean, he surpassed everybody and everything. So you know, like <laughs> this is on a, a level that people dream of. You know what I mean? So. Did you ever get on the phone with Sandy and and just like sort of take a step back and think, you know, look, yeah. look at look at we, what he did? We've done it. We've done it. We've done it in the beginning. We talked about it, Sandy and I. Can you believe this? Unbelievable! This is just. This is hard to wrap anything around, you know. Like, That's got to be just beyond satisfying. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is, I mean, look at us now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look at us now. Well, right. also, I mean, like, but when when Drake would rap about you and your relationship with him. Right. Did you know that he was going to be doing that? Or did it sort of, like, it, it would come no, out? No, and- Drake, uh, we had a conversation about that also. I said, Drake, you got to stop this, man. You know that never happened. He goes, Dad, listen, man. Just go with the flow. This shit sells records. So, is there anything that that you feel you can tell Drake now that maybe he hasn't experienced, or anything that you can show him the way on at this point? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. If he doesn't know by now, he'll never know. <laughs> and he's such an entrepreneur. He's such a a wise businessman to the point of. Um, he doesn't need my help. Yeah. Beyond his awards, beyond his records, beyond who he is as a musician, what makes you the most proud of him as a as a as a human? Uh, his heart, his heart, his uh, his uh, humbleness, his down, he's down to earth. Um, he's got our genes, Sandy and myself. We're the same way. We're not. We're not bad people. We don't. Uh, uh, we're not assholes. Uh, we we're nice to everybody. We love everybody. Um, and Drake has that same same type heart. So, the three of us. We're 
for three amigos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's all good. Yeah. Well, now you guys are neighbors. Yes. <laughs> That's really nice. And so um, I know you were at his place last night and uh, he had a party. Right. How often does he come over here? Do you know that since I've been here? So six months in this in this house. Right. Yeah. Drake has been out of town. And he has never set foot in here. Wow. We've been in here more than he has. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, no, he told me uh, when he was on, on finishing the tour, uh, Dad, show me a, a video of your place. Oh, I showed him. I thought, damn, man, I got to come. I got to come. But he's, he's just so busy. I yeah. Mean, like, I understand. At first, I uh, felt like, Damn, I mean, like, you don't even have the uh, uh, time to come and say hi to me. <laughs> but I understand how busy he is. Huh? So you, you've lived in Los Angeles now for uh, how long? I've been back here for uh, four years. Four years. Wow. Uh, you have been known to uh, frequent different... Uh, yeah, you go out to all the clubs. Yeah, late night clubs. Yeah. You're seen. We've been at parties and then we'll leave and someone's like, oh, you left too early because Dennis Graham showed up, right? <laughs> and uh, you're, you're known in this city for that. Do you ever sit down if you end up at some place that has a piano and just, you know play those keys oh i have yeah. is that right sure sure i have yeah, yeah. if people ask for requests will you play something no no <laughs> no i don't do it i don't, do, B- I don't B- do it B- like King? that anymore no? um i i stopped playing the piano i haven't played in so long i used to play in uh cocktail lounges sure but uh, by me not playing i mean i just started now working on my left hand again with this piano oh you lost it a little bit well i i lost my left hand yeah and uh until i start uh, practicing on a regular basis, I won't get it back. But mm-hmm. I'm feeling so good now that I'm finally getting it back. And you've been uh, recording? Yes. I have a recording studio back here. Right on. Yeah. We know what you've put out before. Right. What do you have on the way? Uh, I am about to have a video release for my new single. Uh, that on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm gonna be releasing that in the next two to three weeks. And what inspires you musically at this point? Um, just just doing what I love. I mean, like uh, uh, sitting in my studio and making beats. Yeah. If I make a beat that I think it's gonna go, or um, I'm putting it out. You know, I, I, that's how they come about. That song, the last song, that yeah. on that. Yeah. And I did. I I wrote that ten years ago. Really? Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, you you rap on that? No, I'm not rap. I, well, you, you speak. I start. I, I guess. start. I'm talking. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm talking. I don't know if I would call it rapping. Well, you're you're speaking rhythmically. I guess. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, speaking yeah. rhythm. Rhythm. <laughs> rhythm. Yeah. 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 So if we caught you on like a Sunday afternoon, what are you listening to? Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Yeah. Does that bring you back to Las, Las Vegas? Vegas? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love Frank. Right, and that's uh, soothing for me during my downtime. So. Mm-hmm. Well, you've had this uh, cascading effect off of like Drake's superstardom. You are now given like uh, new life to your music. No, no, you don't that's think so? not true. Okay, that's not true. Uh, I'm doing me. Yeah, uh, it's had nothing to do with Drake. Uh, it had nothing to do with Drake's stardom. I was in music long before Drake. 
And I learned, taught myself to produce um, uh, different tracks and stuff like that. And when I started producing tracks, I decided, well, hell, I'm going to put it out. That sounds really good. But it, it has nothing. I mean, Drake's uh, uh, stardom, of course, it elevates me because people know me um, and my affiliation with Drake. But but as far as me using him to... Oh, no, I didn't mean uh, it like I that. I think he meant it oh, like that, yeah. Uh, uh, I meant like... Uh, my apologies. I didn't, I didn't uh, mean it well, no. like that, yeah. In addition to your music now, mm-hmm. you're also a personality that can appear on television. Right. And you were telling us before that you have a new program that you're working on right now. Right, right, right. In which you're, unlike this, you're on the other side, you're interviewing. Yeah, I'm interviewing different people, yep. It's called uh, uh, Fame and Family. And, and what could so you're talking to like Master P, you're talking to Dion I'm Cole. I'm talking to the idea of the show is to talk to the parents of superstars and to club owners, restaurant owners, mom and pop shops. You've shared a lot of stories today. Right. Um, how many do you think that Drake has heard over the years? All of them. All of them? Yeah. Is he tired of them? And more. <laughs> and more. I uh when Drake was growing up, I told Drake more stories that I made up in my head. <laughs> uh, I can go, he can walk in here right now and I can start talking about something and go, oh, dad, please don't start. Please don't start. <laughs> because I mentally, I took him down through there. Yeah. I mean, like by telling him, by making up fantastic stories of me being in a tree in Vietnam, and uh, <laughs> the Viet Cong were after me, and um, I flew the helicopter over. Uh, Wait, so that did not happen? Uh, <laughs> no, did not just skip well, over Yeah, we that. skipped that yeah, part. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, 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 between Las Vegas uh, uh, and uh, uh, Houston. Uh, uh, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went to Vietnam for a couple years. <laughs> but I made up more stories to tell Drake. You could ask him. He, <laughs> yeah. he said, he knows. Uh, he goes, oh, my God, my dad's fixing the start. <laughs> <laughs> Does he like you doing interviews? Uh, it depends on what I say. Uh, I don't like discussing Drake in my interviews mm-hmm. uh, because people look for the negative uh, things to uh, put out in the interviews, and I don't like that. Uh, so I refuse to uh, go into anything in detail about Drake because most interviewers will pick the negative parts out to try to get to make it controversial. And, yeah, yeah, people want headlines. That's something I don't like. You know, well. Do you appreciate or dislike or somewhere in the middle TMZ finding you on the street and trying to you know engage with you? Uh, TMZ follows me everywhere. Anytime I walk outside of the club, they want to talk to me and ask me questions. It's, uh, and they have uh, twisted some of my things around that has caused... Uh, Drake and I to have friction, you know, so, uh, and, and that's, uh, where I've almost gotten to the point where, uh, I, I won't answer any, uh, negative questions that you're asking yeah. me. I, you I do wonder, like, when, cause you watch, you know, obviously like them chase around people and like, right. if you, if you refuse to talk to them, what, what do they do? Nothing. They can't do anything. I don't, I, you go, go on and talk to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not discussing that subject with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. um, uh, If you want to talk to me about me and my music and my lifestyle, 
oh, what I do, that's fantastic. I will discuss that with you. But if you want to get into Drake and uh, something negative uh, uh, about uh, anybody, I mean, I'm not going to discuss that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you, you live, you learn. Yeah. You know? Looking back now, are you the same guy that you were growing up in Memphis? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. Deep in your heart, you're still a Memphis guy. I'm still me. Yeah. I've never wavered from that. So, I'm, I've been me all this time. I'm not going to start changing now. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, when they're uh, uh, thrusted into stardom, they become jerks. Um, we have never changed. We've never, uh, we're, we're not becoming assholes or we have stayed the same, and I'm I'm so proud of that. So. When's the last time you wore like a basic outfit? I feel like you're somebody who likes a lot of like extravagant, you know, uh, individual outfits. When's the last time you wore just like a basic outfit? Uh, today. <laughs> this is basic for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You look you're on like the Rough Riders tour. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, uh, you've lived quite a life to this yeah. point, and uh, you've come a long way since making drums out of a, a, a bathtub, yeah, and uh, getting drums from the Godfather of Soul yeah. to, uh, wow. to hitting the road and, and heading up north and back down south, and yeah. crisscrossing this country and other countries. And, uh, listen, congratulations on a, on a life well lived so far, Thank and, you so and everything much, you've man. done to... to Make your career and, and other people's you know lives better and uh, and we appreciate you inviting us into your house. Oh, thank you, brother. I'm yeah. so glad you guys came. Thank you for the interview and anytime. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Just you very much. We can all go to Vietnam. We'll get in the house. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, I'll fly you guys over sometime. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Dennis. Okay. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of A Waste of Time with It's the Real Jeff. People want to find out more about us. I'm Eric. You're Jeff. Together. We are It's The Real. If people want to find out more about this podcast of ours, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Not Waste of Time. Not A Waste of Time podcast. It's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Jeff, if people want to find out more about what's going on with us, where can they go? You can always go to itsthereal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. You can also go to itsthereal.com slash shop and support your boys, It's The Real. Cop some merch today. You can also sign up for the newsletter there. You can always find all of our old episodes and our new ones by going on any streaming platform. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, that's where you can find all of our other episodes. Apple Music, Spotify, CastBox, Google Play, wherever it's streaming, YouTube, wherever. You can also find us at It's The Real on Twitter, at It's The Real on Facebook, at It's The Real on Instagram. Jeff, there's a lot of people that we feel like shouting out today because there's a lot of people who are supporting us online. So, who checked in on Twitter and who are we shouting out? I want to shout out AZ at Money Hungry. I want to shout out Devin No One Cares who listens to us on Mondays. I want to shout out You Gotta Love Cam, our guy who works with Upscale Vandal. Yeah. I want to shout out Mike the Manager. I want to shout out Brian Hasty, AM Cash underscore. Kicks Fan Account, that's the Bodega Box Office, our guys over in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Keith underscore A, a longtime fan. Shout out to the Junk Drawer Podcast out in the Midwest. Yeah. Shout out to Ski.Read, who said, how can I tag every single person ever in uh, in spreading the word? I also want to shout out Shake Skates, who shouted out Maul from the Joe Budden Podcast. I want to shout out Gerard Hussein. I want to shout out Opal Heights, who said that little Tunchi 
Lil Wayne should listen to our podcast. I agree. He would learn a lot about the behind the scenes of this industry. I want to shout out Jose Slopmaster00 over in LA. Longtime fan. I want to shout out a tribe called Blessed that's born Jamaican18. I want to shout out Pierre Pierre Productions. Another longtime fan. I want to shout out Bam Beats, who we haven't seen in a little while, but always happy to see him when we do. I want yes. to shout out In Spite Of. I want to shout out Cherry Poppins, our girl from Philadelphia. The Officially Street Podcast. Brat! I want to shout out Kregarius. I want to shout out the Young Lion Blog from Nevada, who just interviewed our guy, Black Trey. Check that out. Um, I want to shout out Robbie Digital, who we just saw last week at the Industry Friends Party. Big shout out to Robbie and big shout out to Robbie's shoe collection. Ooh, okay. I want to shout out Crathel. Crathel? Crathel. Whatever. I want to shout out Bob Fuentes, Multimedia Bob. Also, Brandon Flores, who said that our podcast is a dope pod. I want to shout out Ken Drippy Jr., Rod Almighty, who says not for real, for real. R Mizzle underscore, what's his name? Cool Married What? I want to shout out DA Davis BK, Surfside Luke, produced by Rex, who put four people onto our podcast. I want to shout out Jess Winder Verdi over in London. Yes, sir. I want to shout out IMJ Goaty out in Sacramento, who said that Sacramento is sort of lame. Damn. But he still lives there, and he's still killing it over there, so why not? And I also want to shout out Hugo Dynamite, the Usman, who said, I'm going to be upset for Money Hungry if he doesn't get the shout-out because he hit it early. So shout-out to both of them. We're back again in seven days. Jeff, as always, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Brett. <laughs>